Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. I'm from Bob, back to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, back to right, looking to the sun. Twenty-five lighters for my twenty-five folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero brought to you by Sports Drink. Today's episode, as always, is brought to you by Spotify Green Room, formerly Locker Room. And I tell you about this every single week, it seems. It's because it's a good time. we got the Braves game coming on at 7.05 tonight. You know what you should do? Around 9 o'clock or so, join in on the Spotify Green Room. Find my link. I'll have it posted up on the TPS Twitter page. You know what we're going to do? We're going to do a baseball rundown. We're going to do what I did the last time I was on one. And I'm just going to give you my own version of play-by-play. We'll mute Chip and talk about it ourselves. Have a grand old time. We'll probably discuss some trade topics, anything else that pops into your fancy. Maybe we'll talk about favorite shows or books. I don't know. The chances are limitless. Anytime you download Green Room, which you can download on iOS or Android, by the way, you can be part of your favorite shows in communities tailored to your favorite sports. Breaking news, any post-game, pre-game, during the game, all sorts of options have opened up to you as long as you download that Spotify Green Room app and post your links and get in the game. Spotify Green Room, the best new audio format to keep sports fans engaged. Okay, so, Doc, it has been, I guess I'll say a roller coaster since the All-Star break. Um, we've had some really good moments and some really horrible moments, including some moments that we wish never to see again, uh, namely A.J. Minter blowing two games uh, and unceremoniously getting sent back down to Gwinnett for what seems like the four millionth time, something we haven't had to worry about in a couple of years. But for all that being said, we, we were clamoring for Alex to make some sort of moves and not to just give up on the season, and he responded. Went out and got Jock Peterson for Bryce Ball, and as much as people love Bryce Ball, Doc, I know you're just happy that no one's going to be able to tweet you about Bryce Ball anymore. 
<laughs> yeah, I did. I did get a couple of couple of tweets after after the jock for Bryce Ball trade. You know, I I like the move. It's uh, it's obviously just kind of a band aid to see whether or not the Braves can. Uh, the Braves can stay in the race long enough to make much more meaningful additions. But, you know, we've seen Jock a bunch uh, over the past couple of years. We've ran into him in the playoffs a couple of times, and, he, and it feels like he always pulverizes us. He's a high-energy, high-joy kind of guy. And at this point, you know, he's uh, he's not great against lefties, but uh, he's not a not a complete train wreck. So you're, you're never going to— This year he's been really good against lefties. Actually, this year he's been better against lefties than righties. It's really weird. Yeah, that that is that is actually true, certainly in the, the, uh, the average side of things. So you're never going to replace Acuna, but getting a guy like Jock is a— uh, that is a really good start, and I like the fact that they added Stephen Vote too. Good under the radar move. Another really good clubhouse guy. You know the great catchers in the game. There are really very few of them, so there there's a really high high price that's going to go on anybody. Like you know, we're obviously not going to get Romuto because he's inside the division. We're gonna prob- probably not going to get uh, Contreras uh, from the Cubs or Salvador Perez from the Royals, and you know, so. Good catchers come come in all forms, and a guy like Stephen Vote, he's a he's a real journeyman type guy. But by all accounts, he's one of the best baseball guys in the game. So great addition for a team that needs some leadership. And you were just talking about AJ Minter getting sitting down to Gwinnett. I actually really like the fact that they said, "All right, this is enough." This kind of puts the rest of the guys on notice. You know, Minter is somebody that it seemed like he really turned a corner last year, and they put a lot of faith in him to take the step. You know, after Melanson left and. Everybody kind of moved uh, moved back in innings, so uh, he wasn't able to take that step. So for some of the guys like Newcomb, who, you know, Newcomb's been back and forth, so we've seen him ride this express before, but some of the other guys that are around there, it's like, listen, just because you think you belong here, if you're not performing, you're not going to be around here for much longer. And going into the trade deadline, I think that's probably a pretty scary proposition for, oh, I don't know, about two-thirds of our bullpen. And it should be. I mean, what you were getting from AJ, and really we can all say since the sticky crackdown happened, you can kind of take a look at the Braves' bullpen. You can see the guys that have really kind of faltered. Uh, but AJ was kind of the big proponent. He started off the year pretty good. It wasn't always the prettiest outings, but was generally performing pretty well. Uh, and then all of a sudden, for the last month or so, after you know the crackdown happened, he's been absolutely horrific. Uh, and it just, it's not, it's not just that he was serving up hard hits left and right or or giving up runs and it's not even just that he was starting to walk people so they were just uncompetitive like I'm okay if he walks like I don't have this notion that oh you need to make them hit it to get to beat you like no a walk is not always the worst case scenario a home run is the worst case scenario I'd rather you walk somebody than give up a bomb but if their competitive pitch is fine then it shows that it was your plan you were saying I'm gonna make my pitches and if he swings and gets himself out cool if not whatever but AJ's were non-competitive. They weren't anywhere near the strike zone. We saw it in that last outing um, where he sailed one, and then after he sailed a pitch, everything after that was a ball, it seemed. And it just you, you can't do that. You can't be trusted in a major league setting where the offense is giving you a ton of runs in that first series out of the break, just crushing baseballs. You can't be, you can't be giving up leagues like that. And I know AJ didn't technically blow one of those games, but AJ was, was the fulcrum that allowed the game to get blown. Uh, and then he did blow that last outing right before he got sent down. And there was really no other recourse. After he gave up that win, you, you had to send him down at that point. You couldn't, you couldn't run him out there anymore. If Shane Green had options, they'd probably send Shane Green down too. If they could just call up an entirely new bullpen, they probably would. That's kind of where we're at right now. But for, for AJ, he's going to have to get himself right, and he's got to get back to, to not pitching scared. And I, I'm going to use that term a lot today when we talk about uh, – 
the rookies, the three rookies who, who just made their starts in succession as um, two out of the three did not pitch scared. One of them did. And I think all of you can guess who pitched scared. It was really, really nice to see our man Tukey come back. You know, the, we've had such bad luck with pitching all year. And when Tukey went down with his, with his shoulder injury, you know, coming out of spring training, like he, he had looked really good in spring training. I was really excited about him. Now, the, the, this is granted coming into the season before, you know, my hopes had been stomped on 110 consecutive days. But, uh, you know, seeing him gradually start to come back and put, it, put stuff together in the minors uh, over his last couple starts has been really inspiring. He showed up the other day. And to use your term, he wasn't pitching scared at all. He was going right after guys. You know, second batter of the game was Tatis. He struck him out on three pitches. That certainly put me on notice. And he just looked great for the rest of the night. And uh, I, don't, I never know what's going to happen with Tukey from start to start. But that was just so wonderful to see. If, if he can put it together, there, there really isn't anybody in the entire organization, including Max or Ian to me, who has more limitless potential than Tukey, which is what makes him so frustrating because he's so inconsistent. Like, I dug up a tweet from last year, last August, that was... The Toronto game? Well, it was, yeah, it was us saying, please just let this be real, you know? And we've seen so many flashes from Tukey where it's like, oh my God, is this the time he finally turns the corner? It's like the Braves 2021 season. This is it. This is the turning point right here. This is going to be the one. So... We never know what's going to happen. He's going to pitch in this series this weekend against Philadelphia. But you're getting to the point where, you know, you really are getting pretty regularly good starts out of, out of the rotation. You know, Max has been better. Charlie's been better. Ian, you know, we know that it was his shoulder. Uh, Muller had put together a couple good starts. We saw this one out of Tukey. Smiley's been much better. So for the last about two months now, the starting rotation has been pretty good. And actually, they were... Last time I bothered to check, they were the starters were 12th in Major League Baseball. And that was probably about three or four weeks ago, right before the All-Star break. Uh, maybe, maybe a week or two before the All-Star break. So I'd bet you they're in the top 10 now. They've been very good. It's, the, offense has been, the offense is still actually like fifth in league in OPS. It's literally just the bullpen right now. And when you bring up Tukey, I'm going to be a little bit guarded because we have done the stance with Tukey before. It seems like once a year, there's one incredible start from him. And then it's all downhill from there. So I need to see him repeat it before I go crazy over him. But this start did feel a little bit different. He outdueled you, Darvish. And now that's one of the that's one of the things to me that makes me want to wait a little bit. Uh, because sometimes when you're facing one of the best in the league, it does elevate your game a little bit. It gets you into that good amount of adrenaline where you're not really thinking about what you're doing. You're just kind of going out there and doing it. Uh, and, and Tukey was fantastic. Six and two thirds, only three hits. Uh, the one run. And I, I think he was – the strikeouts honestly weren't where I expected them to be. That's one of the things that I thought uh, was lacking a little bit that game. Through no fault of his, he was extremely efficient, which was perfect to see. The big key for me that game was the splitter. Now, normally we see it as a split change where it's 84 to 85 miles an hour. He was throwing it a lot harder in that game. He was throwing it about 87 to 88. I saw a couple 89s on there. If that's one of those things that he's going to be doing, and he that was definitely the best splitters I've ever seen him throw. That one he threw to Hosmer was just not fair. Um, there, there was nobody that was going to touch that one. That just disappeared on you. Uh, but if that's like if that's his splitter from now on, and he can actually adjust that to go from splitter to split change, that's such a big deal for him because it gives him a pitch that'll allow him to get lefties out. Because for for 
any two-pitch pitcher, Doc, you know that I'm going to say I don't really care about two pitches, three pitches, four pitches, as long as you have more than one that are elite or that are above average or that are swing and miss pitches. If you have two pitches that are swing and miss pitches, I don't care if you only throw two or if you throw six pitches. As long as two are swing and miss, you can be successful as a starter. The problem for Tukey's is the fastball command is always the, the, the question with him. He has so much arm side run that a lot of times his fastball, if he's not able to spot it correctly or control that run, that fastball becomes useless and everybody can just sit on that breaking ball. And while that can still work against righties, because even if it's a slow breaker and you know it's coming, same hand, it, it's just very difficult to pick up. But when you're facing lefties, that's a long time to get to sit and wait. And the curveball that he throws is not really one that's conducive to burying back foot, per se. And it's not really one that you're consistently going to be able to backdoor. So if, if hitters are sitting on that, even if they're sitting fastball, when you have a slow looping curve like that, it gives you a lot of time to adjust. So having a pitch that you can throw to lefties, like that splitter, where you can run it up 88, 89, and get downward movement, even if they make contact, they're beating it into the ground. That's exactly what you want to see from somebody who has struggled facing opposite-handed hitters. So that's what I really liked about Tukey. And Tukey is a good case study for, for why you always have to be prepared to take your shot. Tukey was done as a starter coming into the season. He was in the bullpen. That was, like, that was it. He was going to be in the bullpen. And I think he was going to be a big part of this bullpen. But a lot of ineffectiveness and a lot of injuries opened the door for Tukey to get some starts again. And he made the most of his opportunity. He 100% deserves the next start he's going to get. He's going to be facing off against Aaron Nola, who, oh, by the way, has been trash since the sticky ban. Uh, so bringing back, my, bringing back my ability to, uh, like I said before the season, for him to end up better, uh, than, or for Max Freed to end up better than Aaron Nola, that's still alive and well. But for Tukey, this is a big opportunity for him. Uh, and, and as we're going to get in here and talk about Bryce Wilson, that's kind of a case in point of somebody that has not run with their, that's kind of something that is a, somebody who has not run with their opportunities, who's consistently squandered them. So a lot of good things that we saw from Tukey, um, we're going to get into Kyle Muller here and, uh, for all the good things we said about Tukey, I think Kyle w was pretty decent. I didn't think he was great by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Certainly didn't have his stuff. And now, there's a lot of people that are going to say that it was that it was a worse start than a Cincinnati start. I actually thought it was pretty similar with a Cincinnati start. He had a lot of the same issues as far as going into deep counts, not putting guys away. The difference between the Cincinnati start and the San Diego start, number one, San Diego's a better offense. So you're not going to get them out with bad pitches. But number two, a lot of those deep counts, he just didn't get the strikeouts in, in this outing that he did versus Cincinnati. Overall, I thought it was pretty close to the same outing that he had. And while it was good, I wouldn't say that it was his best outing, but it was it was a lot more of what I consider to be kind of Kyle Muller's game. Yeah, it was it was kind of the Kyle Muller special, you know. Uh, he he's done a really good job of controlling his pitch count, or at least I feel like in the first couple starts he did a, he did a better job. But yet, you know, when you run up against the Cincinnati offense, even though the Padres offense is better, and then you know running up against San Diego itself, I mean those those are two really. Uh, really talented hitters from uh, from one through eight in a lot of cases. Like even the guys that aren't getting great results are still really good hitters, and they they at least know how to drive up pitch counts. And honestly, if I'm any team, I look at the Braves of just like you just stay alive in counts. All you got to do is get to their bullpen. So uh, that's why when you start to see really efficient outings out of guys like Tukey, it's really impressive. When um, when guys like Muller, sometimes he's got all the stuff in the world, but sometimes it can be hard to get to that point where you can. Get, 
put him away with two strikes. San Diego is a great two-strike hitting team as well. And any way you cut it, Mueller was better than Bryce Wilson in uh, who pitched in game two. So um, <laughs> That's definitely the part that we have to talk about now. Because yeah. for everything we said about Tukey, about coming up there and taking advantage of his opportunity, boy, Bryce Wilson, man, he, he's got that same mode of Kyle Wright where – we saw the electric start in the NLCS, and unfortunately, it's starting to look like that was the exception. Bryce is is a point that I would make about where it doesn't really matter how many pitches you have. Bryce is a one-pitch guy. He can't rely on any of his secondary offerings, inning-to-inning, pitch-to-pitch, and it makes him a fastball person, and he doesn't have good fastball command. So he's one of these guys, kind of like Kyle Wright, who when he's down in AAA, he pitches just fine, and he goes right after people, and he kind of leans into the fastball. But the difference is when you get up into the big leagues, you can't succeed with just a fastball. And if you're Bryce, you're definitely not going to succeed if you can't put the fastball where you want it. He just doesn't have the stuff to overcome bad command. That's why if he's going to be successful, he has to have command. He doesn't have premium strikeout stuff. He really hasn't since coming up from double A. That's not his game. And if you're going to rely on contact, you got to be able to put the ball where you want it. So similarly to Kyle Wright, Bryce is one of these guys that may need to start focusing on quadrants rather than, like, specific places in the zone. If you can't hit that low and away strike zone, then you don't need to target there because if you miss, you're either going to miss outside and walk people, which is a big problem for him, or you're going to miss down the middle of the plate and going to get crushed. Same thing if you try to throw inside. If you miss inside, you're either going middle-middle or you're going way inside. And for Bryce, he just he does not have the margin of error to be able to walk guys. And it's, it's sad to say, because you and I both like Bryce. We really enjoyed watching him when he was dominating the league, when he got up faster than anybody else from his draft class, despite being the most one of the most under undervalued of those guys. For Bryce, man, you're, you're getting to the point where he, this that might have been the nail in the coffin for Bryce Wilson as a starter for the Braves. Now, I know it was, it was just because Ian was on the 10-day, and there's not going to be a second Bryce start. Ian will probably be back before... Uh, before his next start comes up. But it's, it's, it's one of those things for Bryce. You were going on regular rest. I know it's the Padres, but, I mean, he, he was awful. And I, I don't want to say that to be, to, like, to be mean to Bryce or anything, but he was horrible. And it wasn't just that, oh, well, you know, he gave up four runs in two innings. I get that. But it was the way that he gave up those runs. He wasn't fooling anybody. He was giving up loud contact from the very first batter. And it just, it, w- it was a very bad at showing from him. Yeah, the, the problem wasn't that he gave up five runs. It's that it looked like he should have given up like eight or nine. Um, and, and the thing is, we've seen Bryce be dominant. And, and it seems like he's been around forever because he honestly kind of has. I mean, he debuted when he was 20. You know, that, that 2018 season, that was when Soroka and Tukey and Bryce, you know, this is when all these guys started coming up and he was never get, he was never supposed to be like the the highly heralded guy that it looked like he was going to become and then he just kind of not sputtered out but it, it just it's similar to Tukey where we would see these flashes where it's like oh man if he could do that every time then you know he's going to be a star but then he doesn't do it every time and he's 23 he's 2 days younger than Ronald Acuña it's it's weird to to think of it in that way like Bryce Wilson could probably have himself a nice little career, but I don't know if this is the organization for him to necessarily do that in. It almost seems like... And I think that's a good point, by the way. Yeah. I, and I don't want to hijack... No, you're good. I don't you're want to hijack your segment there, but that is one of the things, because we talk about with guys like Bryce and Newcomb even, and Kyle Wright to an extent, although everybody's kind of over Kyle Wright at this point, of 
the whole riding the, the shuttle bus back and forth and how that messes up with that, how that messes with them in their development. The problem with that is like I, I can agree with that to a point, but the other factor of the matter, the fact of the matter is the Braves aren't a bad team. They're not a rebuilding team. You have to show that you deserve to be at the big league level. And if you come up and you get shelled, and I mean shelled, shelled, and you look like you don't belong, a team that has aspirations of making deep postseason runs, they can't afford to keep you on the roster. That roster needs to somebody to go to somebody who can contribute. And for Bryce, I mean, you don't have the luxury of learning at the big league level. This is a good, this is a talented Braves team. I won't say a good team because they haven't been good this year, but it's still a team that's in the thick of a playoff hunt. So no, you don't have the capability of just sitting up here and eating bad start after bad start especially with no signs of it letting up. Even his start earlier this year that we said was pretty good was really only good by what we judge Bryce Wilson's standards to be. You know, we say, oh, if he goes five, six innings and only gives up three runs, then, you know, that's not a bad start. It's not a bad start, but it's certainly not anything that you should be writing home about either. And for Bryce, it's the same thing as Kyle Wright. He gets up here and he starts to nibble. And if you can't, if you're going to pitch scared, hitters are going to feed off of that. And for, for Bryce, I don't know what the answer for Bryce is, to be honest. He has to find some sort of secondary pitch that he feels comfortable throwing. We, I thought it was going to be the changeup for a little bit. His changeup is actually his best pitch. He might need to start throwing that more. He, you might just have to move him to the bullpen where you can let him be fastball and changeup and not have to worry about other stuff. And where if his command is off, you get him out of there after three batters. But I really don't know where he goes from here. You know, and, and at least some, in this organization. Well, yeah, and and in some cases, it's not even necessarily. I mean, in some cases, it, it it is about getting the reps, but in some cases, it's just the mental reset of saying, you know, I thought I was going to be this for these guys, and I didn't become that for them, and it's like they're the team is frustrated with him, and he's frustrated with the team because he doesn't have time to get the reps. You know, if you drop him into a different different organization, they might think that they can just tweak his pitch mix. Somebody somebody might see something in him because he is still young and, you know, he's, by all accounts, he's very receptive to teaching. So, you know, maybe it's just something where for the good of Bryce Wilson, he might need to be traded somewhere. And it's not that I think that he's going to be like, you know, the centerpiece of some deal where the Braves go out and get like Jose Ramirez or something. But I do think that, that he could turn into something for somebody somewhere. You know, Lucas Sims, Matt Whistler, you know, these were guys that kind of spun their wheels in the organization a little bit, and they went elsewhere, and they were able to actually do pretty well for themselves. So, you know, as much as I pull for the name on the front of the jersey, sometimes you look at these guys and it's like, well, man, I I invested so much time in thinking you were going to be something. I still want you to be successful, but I'm just tired of watching you suck here. So good luck in Seattle or wherever. Yeah, for sure, and, and it's not like we haven't seen it before. I mean, we talk about the bullpen being – uh, the worst part of this team, and that's going to be a pretty big part of our trade deadline discussion uh, in just a second. Uh, but when they traded and they got Chris Martin and Shane Green, they they gave up Joey Wentz and Colby Allard. Colby Allard, very similar to Bryce Wilson, and that was uh, had come up really quickly, quite honestly, and, and got knocked around and got dealt away for Chris Martin. But Joey Wentz is another one who came from the same draft class as Bryce. Now, you know me. I'm a big Joey Wentz fan. I still am. I think Joey has a chance to be an excellent, excellent pitcher. I love his changeup, and I love his demeanor on the mound. Um, but dealt him away at the time. He was about the 12th prospect in the Brave system. Colby was the 10th at the time. And they got you Chris Martin and Shane Green. There's no reason to think that Bryce, as much as we may be tired of him, he's still 23 years old. He still got up to the majors really, really quickly. He still has good minor league numbers. They're not, 
they're not great at AAA, but they're still they're still pretty feasible enough to where there's plenty of other teams that'll think that if they tweak one thing or another, they can get some value out of them. There's no reason to say why he couldn't be a piece for for a bullpen upgrade. Not not saying that he's like a main piece in like a, K, a Craig Kimbrell or a Richard Rodriguez deal, but there's no reason to think that he's not something that could be added in for one of these secondary bullpen guys that we're going to talk about. Um, but that said, we are going to discuss the trade deadline stuff. Before we do, I think you and I, I'm going to say that this is going to be the last time I say this for this season, <laughs> this series. This is this is quite honestly the biggest series. This is the deciding series for the 2021 season. Oh, yeah. This, this nine-game this nine stretch between Philly and New York, this is the 2021 season. If the Braves can go out there and they can win both series, and I mean go, go three out of four against Philly and go three out of five or four out of five against New York, you can find yourself in first place, or you can find yourself absolutely buried if you don't come out and do something. If you come out there and you lose both of these series, like if you if you go one for four against Philly and say go two for five against the Mets, even if you if you lose, if you go like three and nine in this or three and six in this, then 2021 is done and it's time to sell off the rental pieces and start looking ahead to 2022. But this is an opportunity for this Braves team. This is going to be difficult because the bullpen is still the bullpen, and you're playing a lot of games in consecutive days. We mentioned this right before the break, that they are up against it. You could not have backed yourself into a more difficult corner to have to get back onto the season. But offense has been performing pretty well, and I understand they didn't score a lot of runs against San Diego. Let's not forget, San Diego is still really, really good with a lot of really good pitching. Let's calm down a little bit before we freak out there. But every, every aspect, aside from the bullpen, has been working. This is this two-series stretch, this stretch of nine games here, this is what decides the 2021 season. No question about it. I mean, and I wish it was as simple as, as if we perform well over the next nine games, uh, then that's it, and we can, we can finally relax. Now, this just determines whether or not we get to move on to the next phase where it stays stressful uh, well, into, well into September. You know, like if... You hit the nail on the head. You go three and six over these next couple games, then you can basically count the number of starts that Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley are going to have left with this team. You go six and three, and you know maybe you get some of the guys that we're about to talk about. So playing well against the Mets, where they don't have Jacob Degrom and they don't have Francisco Lindor. I mean, you could. It's it's like a gift. You know, you every time you go face the Mets in a five-game series, you know you're going to face him. And, you know, Lindor's season started out horrible, and then it started to get a little better, and then he got hurt. You know, this is, this is the time, while the, the Mets are short on some of their best talent that they have, you've got to take advantage of this. You were saying earlier that Tukey outdueled uh, you Darvish, and, you know, sometimes if you're facing the the best talent in the game then you bring your a game well that's good because he's facing Aaron Nola this coming Sunday you know who's been horrible since the sticky ban I just want to say right now for all of you Phillies fans that have been hitting my tweets back at me oh guess who's better than Aaron Nola right now huh that would be Max Freed well you'll have that but as as fate would have it we have a really good opportunity we could be in first place by the next time we record an episode, but it's going to take some luck and it's going to take some help. So are you ready? You said that before. Well, well, you know, <laughs> I, this is coming from the same guy who is convinced that we got Tommy Malone. I'm like, all right, this is step one. Give me steps two through eight. <laughs> and it wasn't. Step two was Robbie Erlin, and that was that was the end of your step. Yeah. I mean, and still, 
and and still this team almost made it to the World Series last year. So it's gonna need gonna need some outside assistance. So let us now move to a segment that I like to call "How to Fix the Atlanta Braves in Six Simple Moves." Dylan, you want to go first? Sure, but before we do, just want to remind you all to download Spotify Greenroom and join in tonight at 9 p.m. where I will be doing a play-by-play of tonight's Braves game. They are in Philly, so hopefully we've able, we will be able to avoid the rain bug uh, and send those dirty, stinking Phillies fans home un, uh, unhappy. It's Charlie Morton will take the mound versus Matt Moore. But talking about the trade deadline talk, I know this is what all of you have been waiting for. This is one of Doc's and mine favorite things to do is to just throw trades at each other back and forth. Uh, I'm going to try not to talk about guys that we've talked about before. Uh, so for mine, these are all, um, we're, we've done this setup to where we're going to have stuff that we think is realistic, guys that can actually be targets. Uh, and then we've got a couple off the walls that are just going to be fun. Uh, but we tried to go two position players, two relievers, because Doc and I both believe that you need at least one good position player to, to pencil into the lineup every day. And at least two good bullpen pieces here. Uh, just to to be able to hold serve. So without further ado, my first one, I'm going to go big right off the bat. Randy Arozarena. Now, a lot of people are going to say, why would the Rays trade Randy Arozarena? Well, they've been platooning him for most of the season. He has not had a great follow-up season from what he did a season ago. He still has all the talent in the world. He still shows it off occasionally, but he's not really performing at nearly the same level he was. And Tampa Bay is one of these teams where they're not going to get bad value so if they think that what we see this season is more representative of what a Rosarena is as opposed to that incredible postseason run a season ago then they're going to trade him and they're going to try to get the best value for what they think he is since they're platooning him the Rays have 10 million players that can platoon basically every one of their infielders can also play outfield like they, they, they are the most versatile team in baseball they can figure it out and they can do that they have plenty of pieces that are you know able to come up and fill in and do one thing here or there and whatever. And I, I'm a big fan of a Rosarena. I don't know. He's definitely not what he was in the postseason. That's just a ridiculous thing. Nobody is that. Um, but he's also not quite as bad as you've seen this year. He's got a lot of talent. He's still very, very young in the game. This is a guy that's still rookie of the year eligible. He's not a full free agent until 2027. This would probably cost. I don't know what the full cost would be because on the one hand, the Rays would be saying, look what he did last year. We think that he's right away from unlocking. On the other hand, Alex would be like, yeah, look at what he's done this year in more games than last year. Look at what he's done his whole career up to this point. So we think that this is what he is, and we want to trade based off of that. So there's, there's always that in the way. But the Rays are never afraid to trade anybody. So I think that that is a very realistic trade. It violates the one rule that we always say when it comes to trades. So you know what that rule is? Don't trade low. Never trade with the Tampa Bay Rays, no matter what. <laughs> no matter what. Well, because I will say this. They're smarter than the us. the Marlins did pretty well. They got Jesus Sanchez. Now, and, and, that's, and that's fair. That, that is fair. And Nick Anderson was lights out for them. But. Yeah. And by the way, before anybody runs to me, like, who are they going to bring up? Um, take a look at the numbers for Josh Lau. That's all I'm saying. Take a look at the numbers for Josh Lau. That would be why they would they would trade Randy Rosarena. But Rosarena this year does have 13 homers and 11 steals, so he gives you that speed element too. Um, the the ISOs of 173, it's one of the lowest for him in a while. 326 Babbitt, but he's got that 256, 335, 429 line. It's good for 114 on the WCR uh, WRC plus. But this is my big key. Just like we saw with Willie Adamas, getting him out of Tampa would be the best possible scenario to see if he's better than he's done this year. 
The Trop is one of the hardest places to hit in all of Major League Baseball. It is a horrible park. It's ugly as sin, and it's awful to try to hit there. We've seen it time and time again with Rays players that when they get shipped out and they leave, all of a sudden they start performing or they go way downhill because they're not in the rest of the AL East ballparks. But Willie Adamas is a perfect case study for why getting a Rosarena out of the Trop could be a big-time advantage. No, I mean, I certainly think it could be a worthwhile move. And we talked last week about needing to, uh, if you're going to try and quote-unquote replace Acuna, you need to get somebody who can do the power side of it and somebody who can do the speed part of it because it allows you to lengthen the lineup. Since you've got Jock, and, and if you were to add Randy Arozarena into that mix, then you get a a light power speed guy. And then you've also got the power guy in there with Jock as well. So that could, that could be a very worthwhile uh, worthwhile deal. Yeah, that would cost, though, because, yeah, he's, you've still got a ton of team control over him, but uh, I just would be so nervous to trade with the Rays. They know everything. I would be nervous, too, but here's my counter to that. Look at the way that the Rays do business. They trade all the time. They're trading with people. They're trading with somebody. I know they don't lose trades very often, but this doesn't have to be a quote-unquote lose scenario. That's why I think the Rays do so well in trades. They don't approach it as winning a trade or losing a trade. It's can I replace what I am currently getting from this guy for something else? And they do it all the time. They traded Blake Snell, who admittedly hasn't had a great season, but they got Luis Patino for it, saying, well, we use a lot of openers anyway. We're pretty crazy with the way that we use our pitching, so I'm not really, I don't really care about trading somebody that a lot of people view as an ace. They're, they're a hard team to trade with because you have to understand the way they trade. But I think that's, that's one that I like. Another one that I really like, that I think would be, Pretty cheap, even though there's still a fair bit of control. Tyler O'Neill from St. Louis. Now, a lot of you may not know Tyler O'Neill, and if you do, you probably know him as a quote-unquote failed prospect, a guy who was absolutely crushing minor league pitching and would get up to the big leagues and couldn't handle it. He's 26 years old. He's basically, I'm going to say this, this is what I really think, he's basically a, a better, younger version of Adam Duvall. He's very, very fast, and listen to this line. 16 homers. 38 ribbies, 8 steals. Again, speed elements in play here. The K percentage, 30, about 30, 30.5%. That's not great, but that is significantly lower than 2019, 2018. 5.4 percentage on his walk rate. Again, not great. Babbitt, 353. One of the lower ones of his career. Still great, though. Shows he hits the ball hard. 278, 331, 533 with a 367 Waba. And if you're into X stats... His ex-Waba, by the way, is 394. That's good for a 133 WRC+. He's an outstanding left fielder, has a very good arm, is very fast, and he seems to have figured it out offensively. And he's a guy that you would have under control until 2025. So yeah, it might cost, but the Cardinals, if you want to talk about teams that you match up well as far as a trade, the Cardinals have zero pitching. They have Matthew Libertor. That's about it. You have mentioned to me, uh, not on the show before, but uh, you have mentioned to me that you would try and center a deal around Dansby for Tyler O'Neill. Is that Absolutely. still correct? Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Now, I know you're saying, well, Orlando Arcia hasn't shown that he can stick at shortstop. That's kind of true to a point, but Dansby's back into one of his cold spells lately. We'll see if moving him out of the two spot tonight helps. Um, but O'Neill is one of these guys that you can put in the top bit of the order too it's going to help your outfield defense very well and I think that if you're not going to read if you're not going to tender Dansby and I certainly don't think the Braves should give him 10 million whether he goes on a tear for the rest of the season or not uh, Tyler O'Neill is an outstanding person to add to this team 
in basically all facets. He kind of fits that mold that Alex likes. He's got the power and he's got the speed combination. He's an outstanding defender. And I think that he doesn't really have a weakness on the field. And you can say that, well, the walk rate's not great. That's something that you can learn as you get older. Or if you're going to, you need to be able to have a, to run a high Babbitt, which he generally does. I don't really know what a deal per se would do for that. I would offer a Dansby deal if they want to say they want to get over Paul DeYoung or even move Paul DeYoung to second base or, or one of the two to second base. Dansby is a perfect Cardinals player. Like, if you look up and down the lineups of non-Cardinals players in baseball right now, Dansby Swanson is like a quintessential Cardinals player. Um, so I think that that would be, I think that they're one of the few teams that would hold a fair bit of value for him. Plus, with the emergence of a lot of the other younger arms that are coming up through the system, your Spencer Striders, your Joey Estezes, your Jared Schusters even, now that you've drafted Ryan Cusick and the Braves love Adam Shoemaker, you do have some pitching depth still. It's not worth what it was before you let them get kind of blown away at the big league level, but you do still have pitchers that fit the Cardinals' mold of pitching prospect and something that they like to do. Yes, they have Johan Oviedo, but Oviedo's not shown that he can do anything at the big league level. Alex Reyes is in the bullpen now. We'll see if they go back to starting him. Aside from that, Matthew Libertor has been really good, but that's about it as far as their pitching prospects go. So that is a deal that I think could get done and get done pretty well. That's Those are my two position player deals. I think the Tyler O'Neill one is probably more likely because it would be cheaper. It'd be more cost-effective. I would really like a Rosarena, though. I think he's a very exciting guy to have. Um, but as far as the bullpen pieces go, I'm going to keep a central theme. Now, yes... I want Craig Kimbrell. I want Richard Rodriguez. I don't necessarily think Alex would pay the premium for those. So I don't, I think Rodriguez is a better, is a more likely target than Kimbrell because I don't think that it would cost as much to get Rodriguez. But I picked two guys that are not the quote unquote elite guys. These are two guys that are very, very good. One of them has a chance to be elite, but it's not quite there yet. So I'm going to start off Ryan Tapera. I've mentioned him before. It's a very under-the-radar, very, very solid reliever in a bullpen for Chicago that has three pieces that are going to bring good returns, including another one of the guys on your list. Um, is a guy that's got good stuff, a righty out of the pen, very reliable, doesn't walk a lot of guys, gets a good amount of strikeouts, just does it, goes out there and does a good job. And that's something that he's very consistent and reliable, which is something this bullpen desperately needs. Now, my favorite one for these guys is Scott Barlow. Barlow is a guy that I think is getting, he should be getting a lot more play around the league than he is. Uh, the Royals are predictably bad. I know they had that really good run for a little while because the rest of the Central was being awful, but the Royals are a bad team. Yes, Bobby Witt Jr. is incredible. Adalberto Mondesi is, is very talented. Aside from that, man, they don't have much of anything. And Barlow is 28. He's under team control for <laughs> until 2025. Uh, but he's a guy this year who's been very good. Again, I'm going to go to the line. 45 and two-thirds innings, 12.22K per nine. Walks per nine is just under four. So not the best walks per nine. It's a little bit elevated for 2020, but it's certainly fine for a reliever. 80.5% uh, left on base percentage. A 44% ground ball percentage. Doesn't give up a lot of homers. 276 ERA with a 247 FIP and a 330 XFIP. I am a big fan of Scott Barlow. Big time fastball. Throws a lot of strikes. Strikes a lot of people out. I would be a big fan of that move. I think that that's one. That if you're picking Royals teams apart, everybody goes to Whit Merrifield. Scott Barlow, I think, would be the guy that I'd be targeting from the Royals. You know, I, I had Barlow on uh, on my list as well initially. The the thing about him, and this is this is the only thing about Scott Barlow, and, and this, is, this is why I would be inclined to go for a guy like Tapera, 
is that we have seen year over year the volatility of relievers. And Barlow is having a great year. But with the the time that is attached to him, is if you get him, you get him for three and a half years. And he's a, he, he is 28. He, he's not like some deep journeyman type. But three and a half years of a reliever is a long time if you're trading prospects for him down the stretch. And that's the only thing now, that gives me pause. Because Tapera is a is free agent at the end of the year. And you know Alex likes to keep it very, very short when he can. Very, and that's a very cheap deal for Tapera. Right. Would you like me to tell you my silver lining for Scott Barlow? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So his, his ERAs have fluctuated. Uh, I'm going to read you his FIP because you and I use FIP. And we use FIP more than ERA because FIP takes just what the pitcher can control. Right. Here's his FIPs from 2018 to 2021. 349, 341. 342 and 247. So even if he goes up a full run and he's not that 276 and he's a 376 guy, we can reliably look at, by the way, his fastball velocity has increased every single year. Uh, So he's done a lot of good things there. We can reliably say that even if he's that 347 FIP guy, that is still an excellent reliever to have control over. Uh, now, you're right. It is it is very leery whenever you talk about relievers for long term. So, really, it would come down to what the package have to be. Again, though, the Royals, they've got some good pieces in the farm system. They don't necessarily have a great farm system total. They've got Nick Prado. They've got Bobby Witt Jr. You know, you can talk about Brady Singer and Daniel Lynch and Jackson Cower. They've got Asa Lacey. But they don't have depth at any other position. This is one of those where I think the Braves could pull a move off with some of their outfield depth. I'm not going to say which ones, but you can you can clearly say I'm not saying any of the big three for Scott Barlow. But the Braves have outfield depth, which the Royals currently do not have. So I think that they match up fairly well, and I think the Royals are one of these teams that kind of understand it might be a while before they're really, really contending all the way through. So I would like that. No, he, he would be a good move, for sure. He, he absolutely would. And, and when I give the reasoning for one of my guys, you're going to laugh because it's basically um, – I'm using the the reverse of the logic I just gave you against Barlow. You know, it's this is where it gets really tricky, right? Is because in in a playoff race, everybody's value is at a premium. The guys that are having good years get priced like they're having absolutely elite years. And if there's any level of team control, then that comes into effect as well, right? So you look at somebody like Craig Kimbrell. He's a free agent at the end of this season. And he is having one of the best seasons of his entire career. So he's going to be really expensive. And then you look at a guy like Barlow who, you know, you get him for a long time. And he's got somewhat of a track record. So he's going to be really expensive too. And it, it's it's so hard trying to look at this like from the actual GM perspective. Like I would love to just throw force trades on and, and go compile a team of all-stars. And I'm just looking through him like... Alex, you look at, okay, let's use 2018 trade deadline as an example, right? We knew we needed to get a pitcher, and Chris Archer was just the name out there. And especially in retrospect, seeing what the package was when it's Tyler Glasnow, Austin Meadows, and Shane Boz, who Keith, uh, Keith Law had as the number four prospect in baseball as of the list. He's about to debut, by the way. He is just tearing up every level this year. What was I saying earlier? Don't ever trade with the Rays. So... Instead of going and paying the premium for Chris Archer, he goes out and he gets Kevin Gossman. And it's a very unsexy move. Because at the time, most people had not really considered, like, 
that Gossman is going to come in and step in and make a difference. And in the long run, he certainly didn't. But the two months that he was here at the end of 2018, he was just spectacular. He looked like he was about to be something. So you look at the prospects that were in that deal, and none of them were overly sexy prospects either. So there are a million non-sexy names in baseball. You just got to figure out which ones those are and can be obtained for the least, right? So I tried to find some that were... Uh, in the the moderately sexy range, uh, you said you wanted to go for somebody who models a game after Adam Duvall. Well, I want that model so much that I would say let's just go out and trade for Adam Duvall. Um, I really banged on him a lot early in the, in the season because the only team that he was hitting against was the Braves. I mean, by and large, he was having a horrendous season against every single team except for us. Uh, and then since May 4th, I hadn't realized that Adam Duvall is hitting... 260 with a 307 OBP, 545 slugging, 129 WRC plus, 17 home runs. You know, he's pretty much the same guy he's ever been. He's uh, he's big power. He's solid enough defense. Um, yet we know that he would jive in the clubhouse. I wonder if there would be any kind of uh, bad vibes or sour grapes from him uh, from having not been re-signed. But he's got an option for next year. It's $7 million. Uh, the Marlins would probably try and exploit that. I, I don't know if what the willingness to trade within the division would be, but he. you look at another outfielder that's on their team, I know that everybody's going to want Starling Marte, and I kind of do as well, but I think that it's gonna they're going to start asking into the uncomfortable prospect range, which Anthopolis has pretty much made clear ever since he's been here. You don't get to play with anybody who's in the top 10. So... Um, you look at somebody like Duvall, you could probably get a, get somebody in that 17 to 20 range, maybe even lower than that, uh, depending on how much they want to exploit the option. Um, you obviously need some help in the outfield. I love Guillermo Heredia, real big Abraham Almonte fan here. But if you can upgrade in the outfield, you do it. Arcia, he was hitting really well at first. Now it's kind of... It's kind of touch and go. He's still not spectacular. He's good, but he's not great, so I would feel better getting another bat in there. Um, after that, I've got Eduardo Escobar from the Diamondbacks, who are one of the worst baseball teams I've ever seen. Uh, he's one of the few bright spots on that team. This year, he's having a really good season. He's somebody that, that we have talked about multiple years that would be a good Swiss Army Knife-type guy to bring in. He's basically what they were trying to design Johan Camargo to be. Uh, this year, he's 251, 301, 490, with uh, WRC Plus is 108, uh, 22 home runs. Um, yeah, once again, not a an absolutely spectacular, sexy player, uh, but he can play third. He can play short. You could probably put him at second if you need to. Um, he grades out as a positive defender. You, you could use a switch-hitting power bat to go in this lineup and just to kind of spell guys for days off. And it, it would allow you to, you know, if you wanted to, you could have a day where you played Arcia at short, Escobar at third, and put Riley in left. If if you wanted to do it that way. He, he just gives you options, you know. Thoughts on yeah, those? And Eduardo is a guy that we've talked about for a while. Uh, I don't know how high he'd be on my list right now. Um, the 108, the, the WRC Plus isn't great right now. Like, right now, he's basically power or nothing. He's, he's kind of either go big or, or get out. Um but certainly, I think he would be a nice piece to have. I just I don't think he's a top-of-the-order type of guy anymore. Uh, I think he's somebody that would be more comfortably slotted around five or six. 
Um, which is fine. It would, again, it would depend on the package. I, I was also perusing the, the Diamondbacks. If there's one person in the Diamondbacks I really want, it's Cattell Marte or Zach Allen, one of those two. Uh, I don't know that the Braves would be comfortable playing in the arena of what it would take to get a Cattell Marte or a Zach Gallen. But Eduardo Escobar, I think, is, is most certainly their, their number three guy. I think he's the under-the-radar piece as far as acquisitions. I think there's quite a few teams that might be looking at him because he can do a lot of things for you. And he was almost traded to the White Sox until Bob Nightingale gave that trade the kiss of death and it fell through. I wouldn't be shocked if they go back for him. Uh, Duvall? I mean, I think Duvall, I don't think there'd be any hard feelings. Duvall doesn't seem like the type of guy to hold grudges or anything like that. You know he'd fit in well with this team. At the very least, you've got another platoon option in the outfield. We know what Duvall can do against lefties. He's lost a couple steps from his heyday defensively, but he's still a pretty good defender. Um, you know, I, I, I would like that move too. Again, it just adds power into the lineup. And Adam Duvall does have the clutch gene. If he's not starting, it's nice to have him come off the bench instead of Pablo Sandoval, who hasn't been able to do anything for months on end. Uh, so, yeah, I'd be perfectly fine with either of those two. Again, it would depend on the package, um, and I'm not certain how the Braves and the Marlins would, would work. It's new management now, so maybe Alex wants to get on good terms with Kim Ng, um, but that's that's kind of I, – I, I think Duvall – I think I would prefer Duvall to Escobar if I'm being 100% honest because I, I'm not somebody that wants Riley to move off of third, and I don't – I kind of doubt that our current – managerial situation would be conducive to using Eduardo Escobar in the manner in which you get the most out of him. If I can put it in, in very um, lawyer-esque terms. Can I tell you one more aspect to the Escobar deal that I think would really get you in favor of it? Absolutely. I trade him for Dansby. So you're going to start Escobar at shortstop full-time? Yeah. Uh, it's not great. I mean, he he does I mean, grade out as a positive defender, and yeah. I mean, I'd say this. I would like his. I would like his. I think Dansby has more upside, and I know people are now freaking out that I said that about Dansby. I just don't think Dansby's consistent enough for that matter. So I think it'd be a net offensive positive. I'm just not sure how he would be full time at shortstop. Uh, I'd be I, I mean, I wouldn't be. I'll put it this way. I wouldn't be upset at it. Uh, I, it's probably not the, the route that I would personally take, but I wouldn't be mad at it. I think that it would be like, I don't think that it would be a bad gamble by any stretch of the imagination. I think what you'd be saying is I'll take a little bit less defense here. If it means I have more consistent offense. And if you say that Dansby on the high side is, is a better offensive player, and he probably is. He's got more ways to hurt you. Escobar is a lot more consistent and he's been a lot more consistent for a long time. So that would be kind of about maximizing your current lineup construction. I think that that would be, I don't think that that would be a bad way to go. Well, yeah. And, you know, Escobar is a free agent at the end of this year. And based on the fact that I don't think the Braves are going to offer Dansby 10 million, like you said, in arbitration. Right. Um, I've, I think he might kind of technically be a free agent here anyway. So Arizona right. might feel and differently. there's a lot of good shortstops. There's a lot of good shortstops next year. Right. So, you know, there are, there are ways there are ways around it. It would be painful, but you know, at some point you got to rip the bandaid off. And worst case scenario, Arcia goes to short, Escobar goes to third, and Riley goes to left for the rest of this season. Worst case scenario. Right. You, you know that Riley's going to be the answer long term at third, but uh, you know we're sometimes you just got a little get a little bit creative. But okay, so that takes care of the position players on my side. I got two more guys. 
One of them, uh, like you alluded to, uh, is a Chicago Cub who is not Ryan Tapera. And sorry, guys, it's not Craig Kimbrell either. I just can't see a scenario where Alex is willing to pay that much for a reliever. But it's Andrew Chafin. Uh, if you've never seen Andrew Chafin, he looks like he drives a 1971 Camaro with a fog hat tape stuck no, in the cassette. No, it is definitely not a 1971. Don't you dare talk. Don't you dare bring that 1971. That dude is a quintessential 1988 IROC. He is an IROC driver. 1992. I'll go one better. Uh, he is he is the what 1989 IROC Z. That is what Andrew Chafin drives. Yeah, and he's wearing a Def Leppard shirt with the sleeves cut off. Oh my God, you can just see it. But this guy, he's and nasty. Jean shorts. Oh jean yeah. Shorts where he literally just took a pair of jeans and cut them off at the knee. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and he's wearing like a pair of white uh, dad New Balance. You know, he's got absolutely. He's somebody who's got a a long enough track record as a reliever that I feel comfortable with. You know, this year, the ERA is 137. FIP is 253. He's striking out a little less than a batter per nine. The walks are low. 2.2 walks per nine. And he's uh, he's given up one home run this year in 39 and a third innings. So, to the... Or, the walks in this Braves bullpen, they have been absolutely out of control. Um, and that's... You bring in somebody like that who's a good, solid lefty. And look, A.J. Minter... We talked about him earlier. He's He's got a lot of promise. He just can't seem to consistently put it together. Sean Newcomb, some stints he will be absolutely elite, and some stints it's like, God, what happened to you? So now you look at somebody like Chafin, who he's been he's been around for six, seven years. He's never been just the just these big eye popping numbers. Once again, it's a non sexy move, but you don't need to make giant sweeping sexy moves to have your team get better. He has a mutual option for next year, $5.25 million. Um, for a solid reliever, that's really not too bad. Um, you know, he is starting to get a little bit a uh, little bit older. Let's see, he is, he's 31. I guess that's not too bad. So that's somebody that he would definitely help you out, give you a little bit more stability in the bullpen. And it gives you somebody to look forward to next year uh, without having to necessarily give up an absolutely massive package. So coming back to the Scott Barlow thing, it was like, okay, well, he's you got three and a half years. You're going to trade a lot for a very volatile position. You look at a lot of the best relievers that are out there this year that are probably going to be available. Taylor Clark, Diamondbacks, four and a half years. Giovanni Gallegos, St. Louis Cardinals, three and a half years. Richard Rodriguez, Pirates, two and a half. Scott Barlow, three and a half. Jose Cisnero, two and a half. Drew Steckenrider, two and a half. You know, you're going to have to take on some risk here if you're going to get one of the not-quite-as-fancy names. So I actually do have as my fourth, I have Drew Steckenrider, but who does have two. Bring him home. Yeah, he's from here, and we we may have got some level of intel a couple of years ago that the, the Braves might have had an eye on him in a certain deal that fell through. Um you know, he's having a really, really good year. He was great with the Marlins in 18. He kind of fell apart in 2019, started giving up a lot of home runs, and didn't pitch pro last year. I, he was at the uh, he was at the Marlins alt site. I got picked up by Seattle this year, and he's having a he's having a great year. Very similar to Chafin, keeps the walks low, uh, 2.75 per nine, and uh, 0.25 home runs per nine. It looks like he's given up one home run all year as well. The ERA is two. The FIP is 2.31. He strikes out 10 batters per nine. That's somebody, that's a high leverage arm. You can drop him right in there. He can be be your eighth inning guy. Um, 
or your seventh inning guy, you could, he and Chris Martin can kind of be interchangeable there, however you want to play it. It just gives you more options. It kind of trims the fat out of the back end of the bullpen. Some of these guys, their days are numbered. I've got to, I've got to imagine that the, that the days are numbered. And for all of this to work, my four moves between Steckenrider, Chafin, Escobar, and Duvall, remember you're also getting back Travis Darno. You're also getting back Waskar and Noah. And this scenario also involves the Braves getting rid of Kevin Smith, Pablo Sandoval, Ender Enciarte, Shane Green, and Josh Tomlin, and sending Jesse Chavez back to AAA. Love him, though I do, in those glasses. Oh, Jesse Chavez, you in those glasses. So, <laughs> there you go. Uh, we did it, Dylan. We, we fixed the have, Braves. We fixed the Atlanta we sure Braves. did. Now, let's put our GM cap on, because we both also did two extremely off-the-wall ideas that are probably <laughs> not going to happen, but that would be very, very fun. Yeah, do it. So, if we're doing our MLB The Show stuff, I've got two here, and we don't have enough time to really explain these very much. I just want to, to get you guys salivating. My first one, Carlos Correa. The Astros probably aren't going to be able to re-sign him unless they allocate a ton of money to him. They're still under penalty. Uh, so, I think they lose. They still – did they lose a draft pick this year? They did. Okay, so that means they lost that slot bonus as well. Uh, you know for a fact that they're going to – they're probably, more than likely, if they're not idiots, which they're not, they're going to throw a qualifying offer on him, uh, which he will then decline. That would be a way for the Astros to recoup a draft pick uh, if they're allowed to do that. If they're not allowed to recoup a draft pick through that means, then I, I think they'll throw the money at him. Correa would just be so much fun. Uh, big bat, good postseason numbers, uh, does a lot of things. Injury history is frightening, uh, would just be fun to dream on. My other one is that other Marlins reliever you were talking about. And this is one that I only think is in the off-the-wall campaign because it's the Marlins and you're talking about in-division. Starling Marte would really, quite honestly, be a perfect fit here. He's in the midst of his best offensive campaign from a WRC Plus standpoint. He's, still, he's actually a really good defender, too. He's been playing center field the whole time. Um, you could play him in center here and move Guillermo to a corner, or you could move Starling to a corner and wonder if that might actually even increase his offensive performances. You'd also be getting him out of Miami, which is a gigantic park, probably save his legs a little bit. He's a guy that slots right into the top of the order. You can have him lead off and have Jock go two and Freddie go three, or you can have it go him one, Freddie two, Ozzy three, Jock four. You can play around with that a lot. Um, th he's going to be a free agent, so ideally you would say that the, the, the cost wouldn't be crazy. Uh, did turn down that $30 million joke of an extension from the Marlins. Marlins and the Braves don't get along after that JT Real Muto fiasco, but that was under different management. Maybe, maybe Alex is like, hey, Kim, let's start fresh. And Kim is like, you know what? Let's just make the Marlins a good team. Now, you'd have to play around a little bit and see how that goes, but I could say if I were to see that happening, I would, I would guarantee if the Braves were to want to beat anybody else's offer, it would cost one of the catching prospects. And I'm not talking Alex Jackson or Logan Brown. Uh, that's something that the Marlins, who have a really good system and a ton of great starting pitching talent, they have. They did just draft Mac, Joe Mac, and are going to sign him, according to all reports. But he's probably going to be four or five years away. Catchers don't really move that quickly, uh, and the Braves have two young catchers, not counting Alex Jackson, who are probably going to make big moves next year as far as big leagues go. Now, I'm not going to say which one they'll trade or which one they would have to require, but I would, uh, I, I, I would dare to say that if you told the Marlins they could have one of those two catchers and then you could probably build some ancillary stuff from both sides around that, I think that would be a deal that Kim Ng would be very hard-pressed to pass up. 
well, as somebody who firmly believes William Contreras is our left fielder of the future, uh, I would uh, I would certainly be interested to see if that's somebody that they would uh, that they would target. I mean, Starling Marte would be such a such a boon for this team, and there's going to be a ton of competition out there for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he would be a spectacular ad. Once again, by all accounts, a great clubhouse guy and just a dynamo of a talent as well. Yet another player who did really well for himself after after he left the Pirates. Now, Correa, you know, the whole point is to go off the wall. I mean, it, it would... Yeah, there's no chance oh, that oh, you'd have to pace. You'd have to pay so crazy for that. Now, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys who are fantasy players in on a little secret here. The Astros do have two really good shortstop prospects right behind them. Jeremy Pena is probably the most, the most unknown top 100 prospect in baseball. Jeremy Pena is a very, very exciting shortstop. And Freudus Nova. Doc, you know for a fact that I have been on Freudus Nova since like 2017, no, 2016, forever. 2017. Yeah, yeah. And he is an excellent bat. As a matter of fact, if I could, I would trade for Freudus Nova. Um, but he, he's a guy that was outstanding in spring training. was a surprise add to spring training. Both of those two were very impressive. Jeremy Pena has been hurt this year. But to be... There is, a, there is a plan in place for the Astros if they don't bring back Correa. Pena is a guy that they are thinking will be a starting, a starting shortstop for them. I was just, you know, it, I, was, I felt like I was about to go down a path where I made fun of your off-the-wall ones, which is preposterous when you hear the two that I have prepared. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the first one is you call the Dodgers and you try and buy as low as possible on Cody Bellinger. He is having the worst year he's hitting like 0.74 or 0.074 over the past calendar month i mean he was the mvp two years ago he was an eight war player and he's coming i've got a what's up hold on i'm sorry finish i just thought of something that's very very i I got something i'm gonna throw out to you so before you go to your second guy throw back to me i've got something i want to ask you all right so yeah i mean there's zero possibility the dodgers would do this but then again andrew friedman came from tampa you know he's willing to get creative. It's not going to happen unless, you know, the Dodgers have a long road. I think they have a lot more competition out of the Giants than they thought they were going to have, and they probably thought that they were going to have Belly in the mix. So if they thought they could get somebody that's going to help them repeat, you never know. It's not going to happen, but you never know. I know. It's not going to happen. Back to you, Dylan. Okay. All right, here's the question for this Bellinger swap. What if the ask was, what if it was a straight first base swap? Freddie for Cody Bellinger. No. Mm. <laughs> mm. I mean, Braves had to throw prospects in there too, I'm sure, because the Dodgers aren't idiots. But There's a lot of, what if, a lot what of if the, control what if, in there. What if the main pieces were Freddie for Cody Bellinger? Oh, no. Freddie going to California, just not the California team we expected. Oh, my God. I don't... Could you, could you imagine? Do you remember the first time you saw Tom Glavin in a Mets uniform? And just yeah, how not it, right it, that felt. It, pick, it still doesn't feel right. Yeah, like even I saw a Photoshop picture of Fernando Tatis wearing a Braves uniform. And I loved it, but it still just didn't feel right. There's certain things that never look right. It's like Jordan when he played for the Wizards. Or the White Sox. Or the, or the White Sox. But, <laughs> okay, so now th- this is the last one. And I know we got to go. This is a way longer episode than we said it was going to be. But you suggested something last week after the show when we were talking, and I have not been able to get it out of my head all week. You would have to move Austin Riley to left for this, but what if the Braves traded for noted third baseman Josh Donaldson from the Minnesota Twins? If you could do that, 
Because he's gonna make he's making a lot of money. I know he's being productive. You'd have to attach a prospect, but if you could somehow find a way to attach Marcelo Zuna's money to a prospect and send him to the Twins, you got to think about that. I mean, oh, I don't think that's that off that. I don't think that's that off the wall. To be honest with you, I think that's something that they probably will explore. So, especially if they if you consider that money is the issue, assuming that there's going to be a DH next year, which all signs indicate that there will be. Yeah, Stop well, Josh into there, and all of a sudden you start wondering, well, how long can he last? Well, yeah, and not not to mention, like by all accounts, the Braves are leading the league in uh, in attendance. So last year, you know, it's easy to get mad at a, at a giant corporation for not spending, and I get that. But I mean, there wasn't any anybody in the stands last year. So now that we are leading in attendance, and there is gate money coming in and there's kickdowns from the battery, etc. There's money to go around. So you can absorb um, getting a contract like a Donaldson. Somebody like that, I mean, he's 35. The contract might not look great at the very end of it. And, uh, you know, but Alex has a history hey. of, of trading for guys that he is familiar with. So Hey, I'm, that's one that I would – I don't think that, that, I don't think that's off, that off the wall. That's one that I would keep an eye on. I really do think – because the Twins are going to sell. I do think that there is a big chance that that happens. They're trying to re-sign Byron Buxton to a long-term extension. Would go a long way for them to be able to get the money off the books that, that Josh Donaldson is allocated towards. I would definitely keep an eye on that. Hopefully you guys are keeping an eye on the TPS account. We will have this up a little bit later for you today. Uh, game kicks off in about 40 minutes, so to speak. Uh, but, Doc, we have reached our allotted time and then doubled our allotted time for today's episode. A lot of fun, as we always do whenever we talk trades. We always know we're going to go over. I know you guys love it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We're going to go watch the Braves game now, and hopefully by the time we come around next week, we'll have some good news and, and some good storylines to talk about and some new acquisitions, hopefully. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thank you for being brave.